Trauma Therapist Podcast 382. Welcome to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to help support and inspire new trauma workers through this podcast and my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0. Thanks so much for joining me today, and here we go. Hey folks, Guy here. Quickly, before we get started, you know, after having done over 380 interviews with the amazing guests that I uh, am fortunate to bring on this podcast, one of the themes that continually comes up again and again and again is the importance of self-awareness, of authenticity, of presence and vulnerability, and how to cultivate that. This topic is just is, is my passion. It inspires me. Why? Because it's something that I've been on a journey uh, to do, and all within the context of working with people who've been impacted by trauma. I want to invite you to join me for a live workshop September 20th through 22nd at the Incredible Art of Living Retreat Center in Boone, North Carolina. Once again, that's September 20th through 22nd. You can get all the information by going to the heartcenteredworkshop.com. That's the heartcenteredworkshop.com. I will see you there. All right, this episode is sponsored by Praxis. Praxis Continuing Education and Training aspires to set a new standard in continuing education for mental health professionals. Based on the philosophy that mental health is a key feature of human well-being, Praxis trains clinicians in using proven effective tools for helping their clients heal by mixing groundbreaking theory with hands-on experiential learning models. Praxis provides innovative live and online trainings conducted by leading experts in behavioral therapies, including acceptance and commitment therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, and more. Jumpstart your learning today and gain new skills to enhance your practice at praxiscet.com. That's P-R-A-X-I-S-C-E-T.com. Take $50 off your first training by entering the code LEARN50. That's LEARN50 at checkout. Once again, go to praxiscet.com and use the code LEARN50. Learn 50 at checkout to save $50 on your first training. This episode is sponsored by Trauma Therapist 2.0, community to educate, support, to inspire new trauma healers. If you're a new trauma worker, new trauma provider and healer, you're starting out on the trauma-informed journey and you're tired of doing this alone and looking for support, looking to be around a community of other passionate trauma clinicians, I invite you to check out Trauma Therapist 2.0 at TraumaTherapist2.com. That's TraumaTherapist2.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. Guy McPherson here, and very excited to have as my guest today, Adam Young. Adam, welcome, man. Thanks. It's good to be here, Guy. It's good to see you. All right. So Adam Young is a licensed clinical social worker in the states of Colorado and Georgia and holds master's degrees in social work as well as divinity. He's completed extensive training with the Allender Center, including the certificate program and externship program. And he's also the host of the podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves. Awesome. Welcome, Ann. Um, share with our listeners where you're from and where you're calling from, and then let's uh, dive in. I grew up in Connecticut, but I am now happily in the state of Colorado, about an hour north of Denver in Fort Collins, and it is absolutely beautiful here, and it's a good habitat for my heart. Nice, but, but, but super cold. Uh, no, not, 
Yeah, I mean, there's good skiing. There's good skiing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Reframe. Nice. <laughs> All right, man. Well, welcome. Thanks. Um, so let's start off here. Um, we start off sometimes with a quote. I know you have one. Uh, what do you have for us? The quote that I want to start with is that subtle sexual abuse or covert sexual abuse, as it is sometimes called, is a real thing that does significant damage, but it often goes unnoticed by clinicians. Okay, so let's break that down. Now, who's that attributed to? Well, the the, the person that's kind of put subtle sexual abuse um, on the map, at least for me, is a man named Kenneth Adams, who wrote a book probably a couple decades ago now called Silently Seduced, When Parents Make Their Children Partners. And the way uh, that he defines subtle sexual abuse is he says it occurs when a child becomes the object of a parent's affection, when the child becomes the person that the parent starts to lean on or, or uh, emotionally become very involved with and intimate with in a way that they're not connected to their spouse. Mm -hmm. And so the child in time is forced to act like a surrogate spouse to one of their parents. And it's usually the opposite sex parent, though not always. Mm. So why that quote? Um, because in my practice, I work uh, half with couples, half with individuals. Um, and what I've found is that is that this dynamic of subtle sexual abuse or triangulation is another way of, of getting at it, is so often the culprit in what is haunting clients, but it very often goes unnoticed. Um, I mean, nothing in my experience does more damage with less notoriety than subtle sexual abuse. Because the tendency for the adult survivor of this is to feel like their relationship with their opposite sex parent was really healthy and good and close. I mean, they were attuned to them. So for me, and this is personal to me as well. I mean, this was my experience growing up. And so my sense was mom and I were really, really close. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a really good, healthy relationship. And whereas there was tension and even violence between me and my dad, mom was always kind of there for me to comfort me. And, and so as adults, you think, um, that was really a good relationship. Yeah. And in reality, uh, it, it was quite harmful. I mean, let, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it, it's, uh, let's just get to the point. This is hard stuff to talk about. I mean, it is for me. You know, I, I'm doing this all the time, and this is the Trauma Therapist Podcast, but this we're jumping right in here, and we're talking about some pretty uh, hardcore things here. And I'm, I guess I'm just saying that because, uh, you know, I want our listeners to be able to take care of themselves as, as they're listening, but also just honor what you're saying. You know, you're sharing about your own story. And I just want to put that out there that um, uh, this is, this is uh, you know, these waters are, are sometimes challenging to navigate. Um, so Kenneth Adams is the individual's name. I don't, I'm not sure I've I've heard of him, but he'd be, he'd be someone uh, interesting to have on the podcast here. Yeah, it's very hard stuff to talk about. I mean, anytime we reflect on the nature of our relationship with our parents, it, it evokes big emotions. I mean, there is a tendency in all of us to not want to look at harm that came from our parents because they're our parents. Right. Um, but so much torment 
comes to clients when uh, they've been subtly sexually abused and they're not aware of it. And they have this sense of, you know, I either have sexual addictions or compulsions or there's something that's just not right. And I have no idea what it's coming from because my sense is I wasn't, I wasn't abused. You know, I, I, I wasn't sexually abused. I wasn't physically abused. I wasn't verbally abused. There must be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But when we dig into their story and we look at the triangulation that occurred between them, their mother, and their father, uh, it all begins to make sense. And there's such relief for clients in those moments. Like there's a sense of, oh, this is why I struggle with X, Y, and Z. This is why I have felt like there's something wrong with me all my life and not known how to put a finger on what it is. So let's, I mean, you shared some about your background. Let's kind of uh, share with our listeners, Adam, how you started getting, how you got into this field. I mean, obviously we've heard a little bit about um, your background again, but tell us that story if you would. Well, I got a master's degree in social work right out of undergrad. And so I was about 27 when I graduated and I graduated being crystal clear about one thing. And that is that I had no idea how to help people. (laughs) I, I couldn't even make my own life work, much less the lives of other people. And so I didn't practice for 15 years. I did other stuff. Um, and more important, excuse me for interrupting, but right. So right out of uh, college, you were like, I want to be, I want to be a social worker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I was um, disillusioned with a lot of the bureaucracy, but mostly disillusioned with I didn't know how to help engage people that had a history of trauma in ways that would bring healing. I couldn't find healing in my own life. I knew I didn't have anything to offer others, at least not in a healing way. And that was 23 years ago. And we know so much more now through interpersonal neurobiology about how to engage trauma and more specifically how to engage trauma narratives. And we just didn't know it back then. Um, And so I did other stuff. I was a pastor for a while. Um, But then the part of pastoring that I enjoyed the most was engaging one-on-one with the hearts and stories of of people in the congregation. And so I transitioned to doing therapy full time. Mm-hmm. So what, if you could go back, what was it initially that sparked that interest, that, that desire to help or work with people in that context? Well, I, I am of the opinion that more often than not, we are drawn, we therapists are drawn into this field through our own trauma. Um, and so for me, uh, growing up in my family, my mom was often frantic. She would now be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Um, she was highly dysregulated most of the time. And my dad was emotionally checked out. Um, and so I grew up in the midst of trauma. Mm-hmm. And I grew up being leaned on and looked to, to bring regulation to a very dysregulated family. And so really, my training to be a therapist happened from my parents. Wow. Did you have siblings? I had two younger siblings, but I was the oldest. Okay. So you get out, you jump right into social work. You're like, I, I don't, I can't do this work or I'm not ready yet to do this work. You become a pastor, you get engaged there in, in terms of the, in terms of the work. So share more about how things evolved for you. 
Well, the, the primary evolution was me beginning to engage my own trauma. I mean, I didn't think I had a history of abuse. I didn't think I had a history of trauma. I had no category for subtle sexual abuse. I did not realize that, um, that the significance of the harm that had come to me through kind of being made to be my mom's surrogate spouse in place of her husband, my father. And, and, and so as I began to take a look at that, and that's when I began working through with the Allender Center and Dr. Dan Allender in Seattle. Everything began to make sense for me, and I began to experience healing. And with that healing came a deep desire to be part of the healing of others. Um, and, and now I finally had a sense of, oh, I know how to engage this material uh, in ways that bring recovery, that bring healing, that bring connection with clients. And so I felt like I had something to offer. And I felt for the first time in my, in my life, like healing was really possible and, and, and I could be part of that process for others. So you're, you're seeing a lot of things here. I want to make sure I, I get. So just to go back a little bit. So let's define subtle sexual abuse. Um, is, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So with subtle sexual abuse, um, there are really two dynamics at play. Number one, something of your goodness is being consumed by your opposite sex parent, usually the opposite sex parent. So for me, my mom looked to me to fill the role that her husband was not. Now, was that physically and emotionally or one or the other? Well, and it can be both. I mean, but anytime there's an emotional uh, dependence upon and an emotional intimacy between mother and son or father and daughter, you have uh, triangulation and you have subtle sexual abuse. Sometimes that can take on uh, sexual overtones with hugs that last too long or sexually suggestive comments from dad to daughter. But the point is, there can be extensive damage in the heart of a child without physical touch, without physical sexual touch. And that's why it flies under the radar is because the people that have been subtly sexually abused will say, you know, I I was never touched inappropriately. And yet their sexual addictions, their sexual compulsions, their sexual brokenness in their, in, their, in their intimate relationships, and there's no explanation for it. And so they have this sense of there's just something wrong with me. But the other dynamic guy that I want to make sure I mention with subtle sexual abuse is that you're set up to be envied by your same-sex parent. Because my dad wasn't too fond of the fact that his wife looked to me rather than to him. And so there's envy and there's rivalry and there's competition that's set up. And that just does such damage to the child. I could imagine. At, at what point, Adam, did you realize, you know, I've got to work on my own stuff? Uh, mid-30s. Okay. And what did you start doing? started working for you? I started going to therapy. Um, I went to something called Recovery Week with Dr. Dan Allender, which is a week-long intensive uh, time with uh, nine other men who had been, who had experiences of sexual abuse ranging, you know, different spectrum of sexual abuse. Um, went back for a second week and I began doing individual therapy um, around primarily my family of origin. And Give our listeners a, just a, a kind of a nutshell of what Dr. Allender does. 
Dr. Allender, in my mind, has put language to the complexities of of the consequences of sexual abuse in the human heart. And so I had never read anyone, and his book, by the way, is called The Wounded Heart, The Wounded Heart. Uh, he has a sequel to it called Healing the Wounded Heart. But, but that book, The Wounded Heart, described the landscape of my heart better than anything I had ever read. Wow. And, and the subtitle of the book has to do with sexual abuse. But remember, in my mid-30s, I don't think I am sexually abused. Right. So right. in order to read the book, I literally had to take a black magic marker and, and cross out the word sexual every time it appeared because I, just could, I didn't think I was sexually abused. But yet the book was describing my life. Mm-hmm. And, and so as I began to, to find language for the stories of harm in my growing up years, uh, the dots began to connect and there was immense freedom that came with naming the truth. So in what way or how did you, do you feel this helped you or even allowed you to go on and start working as a social worker? Well, I think in two ways. Number one, um, it got me personally healthy enough to begin to sit in a room with other clients who have trauma. Um, because a, a therapist can only be as helpful as the work that they have done in their own heart, their own story. And, and really, it can be really dangerous when therapists that haven't engaged their own trauma and their own story begin to sit with other people in the midst of their trauma. That, that, that can, that can, that's a recipe for reenactment. Um, and then the second thing is I felt like I now had some through Dan Allender's work. I felt like I had something to offer. Like I, I, I felt like I knew what questions to ask and what places to explore as clients brought their heartache and their harm. Well, that's kind of an awesome image to me. So let's kind of put a magnifying glass uh, on that if we could and talk a little bit more about that in terms of you know, what questions to ask and where to shine that light in the sense. Talk a little bit more about that if you would. Well, one thing I ask uh, clients to do is to draw a triangle. And on the triangle, it's an inverted triangle. So the, at the top is mom and dad. And at the bottom is you. And the question is, what did your triangle look like if the closeness of the sides of the triangle represent the closeness of the relationships? Mm. So in an ideal family, you want the mom and dad to be closer to each other than either one of them are to the child. In so many of my clients' lives, when I ask them to draw their triangle, they are closer to either their father or their mother than spouses to spouse. And that creates triangulation and immense heartache in the lives of a child, of the children, because it begins to put pressure and expectations on the child to function as a surrogate spouse. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty vivid. Um, and then, so how might you then work to, uh, you know, unpack this with a client? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the first step is naming what was true. So there has to be a commitment to honest reflection on what was it really like for you as a five-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old in your family of origin? What was it like for you, if, if you're a female, what was it like for you that your father 
was closer to you emotionally than he was to his, his wife, your mother. What was that experience? So to find language together for what that was like, because here's the dilemma guy. It was incredibly special. It made you feel special. I mean, what kid wouldn't feel special with that level of intimacy with one of their parents? But at the same time, it bore immense heartache for them because as, as, as kind or as, as good as the daughter could be, she could never fully meet the needs of her father. And so there's always this sense of, uh, a sense of inadequacy and unworthiness in, in her heart because she can't be a spouse. She's 10. She's 15. Right. right. Damn. You know, there's, there's something about you, Adam, that is, is um, just, it's like no BS, right? There's just like, and you're sharing so much of your own story. I mean, you can feel it. You know, I can see it. You know, I've talked to you before. And I can just imagine the, the, authenticity and the willingness that you bring to the work you do. You know, having said that on my end, what do you feel is, is kind of your uh, zone of genius, if you will, that you bring to this work? Um, attunement. In my mind, the primary deliverable of a, of a therapist, of a clinician is attunement. Will I be attuned to the emotions and really to the right brain of the client or clients if I'm working with a couple. Will I subject myself to their internal experience and track with them what's happening for them? Attunement, attunement, attunement. That is our deliverable. It's not, uh, you know, uh, coming up with some profound insight though it's lovely when that happens. What, what each of us is looking for in a therapist, I think, and this is certainly what I need from mine, is will you be attuned to me? Will you track with me and help me find language for my inner experience, particularly my emotional dysregulation and my relational problems out in the world? And what was that process like for you as you... Uh became more experienced and, and more mature in this work? Because my guess is, from what you said, that you didn't, you know, bound out of the gates with, with that level of attunement. So talk a little bit about that process for you. Yeah. Well, I, interestingly, my ability to attune to clients is in large measure a function of the degree to which I'm connected to my own body in session. In other words, am I paying attention to the instrument of my body, to the sensations of my gut, to what's coming up for me as I'm hearing a client talk about their heartache or their trauma or their present day crisis with their spouse? What am I feeling? What am I sensing? What's my inner experience as I am attuned to them? Because Alan Shore is, is kind of my personal hero, and he talks about how therapy is essentially a right brain to right brain endeavor. It's a, there is an inner subjectivity between therapist and client where there is a connection, attunement, attachment. It all goes back to attachment. It all goes back to will I, will I attune to the client and will I track with them where they're going? 
Because as a, as remember, as children, that's what we each needed from our parents more than anything else. We needed attunement, responsiveness, and engagement from our parents. And when that's lacking, uh, the result is developmental trauma. And, for, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this are kind of starting out on their trauma-informed journey in a sense, therapists, uh, coaches, mentors of all kinds. For you, Adam, what was some of the, uh, the, the learning points for you to, to get there, to get to the point where you were able and are able to, to attune? Um, and I kind of want to get to the point where I'm asking about some, a clinical error in a sense, but um, this, this topic really fascinates me because, as you're saying, and I, I agree with what you're saying, so much of this depends on the, the the therapist or coach or mentor's ability to, you know, show up to 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 do that exp- exploration and that inner work in a sense. But it's not always easy. It's not easy. Period. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it is my own individual work, my own therapy, uh, my own individual therapy, my own marriage therapy with my wife. Um, there has to be a significant self-exploration of your own story, particularly with your family of origin, to understand what your presence brings to a room and what your style of relating is, uh, not just to your clients, but just to the wider world. I mean, there has to be a understanding of who I am, where my blind spots are, where I am likely to get caught up in reenactments with clients. And if I haven't done my own personal work, that, that stuff's going to get triggered in session and I will do unintentional harm. Let's, let's kind of talk about uh, an early clinical error. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, in my opinion, most mistakes that therapists make, and it was certainly true for me, are reenactments of their own trauma from their family of origin. So when I cease to be helpful to clients is when something from my own story is getting triggered and then reenacted in the therapy. Uh, so for example, I do couples work. It's not all I do, but it's one of the things I do. And in my family of origin, as I said earlier, I have a highly anxious mother I have a shutdown and withdrawn father, and I am often asked to to be a a mediator of that dysfunction and make my family work. So now, 30 years later, I'm sitting with a couple, right? And let's say the husband is withdrawn and shut down, and the wife is frantic and filling the air with a lot of words and emoting and dysregulated. I I mean, I find myself right back as a seven-year-old. And it can feel that way in session at times, especially before I had done my own work. And so my temptation in that moment is is going to be to reenact what was asked of me as a child, which was fix this, Mm -hmm. calm this woman, tend to her. And that's not going to be helpful to this couple at all. I mean, the husband would happily outsource emotional engagement with his wife to the therapist. And that's what they're both asking me to do. And if I do that, that's just going to play into their dysfunction and it won't point them towards each other and it won't help their own intimacy. I have to be able to recognize what's going on 
and direct them towards each other. And in this case, refuse to outs to, to be outsourced, <laughs> refuse to do the emotional engagement with the wife and, and, and help the husband to engage with her. And this is a stereotypical example, but it's one that happens. The, the genders could be reversed. Uh, but the pull to get caught up in a couple's drama so often is a reenactment of our family of origin for us therapists. Yeah, I mean, what a what a, a palpable example you just gave. I mean, especially given your background, and here you are working with couples again. Um, it's it's just fascinating to hear you talk about your whole process and the the importance of your self awareness and cultivating that self awareness and the value you place in doing your own inner work and how that's uh, you know coming right into the room with your clients. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so integral to what I'm trying to do here with this podcast. So I, I so appreciate you sharing that. It is. It's essential. Um, I don't know how you can continue to grow in this work unless you are regularly videotaping sessions and letting another clinician watch them, there has to be an evaluation of your work. Uh, there has to be another set of eyes. I mean, this is an odd profession. We can actually do our work for an entire year and nobody ever reviews us, right? What other profession allows that? It's terrifying if you think about it. There has, <laughs> there has to be a subjection of your work to the eyes of more seasoned clinicians who can help you see where you are getting caught up in reenactments and unintentionally doing harm. I just want to take a moment and remind everyone that I'm speaking with Adam Young. He can be reached at adamyoungcounseling.com. And um, let's talk about your uh, podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves. Why did you, start, why did you decide to launch this? A couple reasons. Um, one is I just, um, so I'm a former pastor, right? And when I became a therapist, I didn't have a pulpit and I like talking. I like teaching. I, I, I just like um, breaking down stuff that I have found essential to my own freedom in a way that other people can digest, metabolize, process, and hear. I mean, it's, it's kind of like when anytime you hear something that you really are excited about, you want to talk about it, <laughs> or at least that's my, that's my personality. And so I wanted to reach people with uh, the freedom that I was experiencing and what was bringing that freedom. And I particularly wanted to teach mm -hmm. uh, what I was learning. And so um, I started the podcast uh, to give me a forum for that. And it's been phenomenally encouraging to me to hear the feedback from other people. And, and what I often hear is you break down complex concepts in a way that allows me to understand it and apply it in my own life and, and for therapists in my practice. And for, you know, for therapists, like you just can't hear anything sweeter than that. That's right. just, <laughs> I mean, that just what are, makes what, what are people going to hear who tune into the podcast? Well, the podcast is explicitly Christian, so it's from a Christian perspective, um, but it's primarily about interpersonal neurobiology, story, and by story I mean trauma narratives, and, and how our family of origin affects us. So it's got a lot about attachment, 
a lot about affect regulation, um, and a lot about God and our relationship with God. Because I think people, spirituality for people is absolutely essential when they're engaging their trauma, whether they're Christian or not. Right, right. So once again, that's the place we find ourselves podcast. Um, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you, Adam? Uh, you can email me at adam at adamyoungcounseling.com. Okay. And of course, your website. Yep. Okay. And in terms of a go-to book recommendation, whether trauma-related or not, um, I'm also going to have um, Kenneth Adams' book up here too. Yeah. So Ken Adams' book, uh, if you want to hear more about triangulation and covert sexual abuse or subtle sexual abuse, for sexual abuse in general, uh, nothing's been more helpful to me than Dan Allender's book, The Wounded Heart. Okay. Um, and then anything by Alan Shore. I, I mean, if you're a therapist, it, you got to read Alan Shore. Um, and then the other book I would say uh, for therapists is please read The Drama of the Gifted Child by Alice Miller. It is written, uh, it's not written for therapists, but every therapist needs to read that book. Awesome. So Alan Shore's work and then um, a drama of the gifted child. Again, we'll have those linked up here. Adam, brother, I want to thank you so much. I'm looking forward to sharing your passion and your uh, inspiration with uh, my listeners here, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Guy. All right, take care. All right, this episode is sponsored by Praxis. Praxis Continuing Education and Training aspires to set a new standard in continuing education for mental health professionals. Based on the philosophy that mental health is a key feature of human well-being, Praxis trains clinicians in using proven effective tools for helping their clients heal by mixing groundbreaking theory with hands-on experiential learning models. Praxis provides innovative live and online trainings conducted by leading experts in behavioral therapies, including acceptance and commitment therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, and more. Jumpstart your learning today and gain new skills to enhance your practice at praxiscet.com. That's P-R-A-X-I-S-C-E-T.com. Take $50 off your first training by entering the code LEARN50. That's LEARN50 at checkout. Once again, go to praxiscet.com and use the code LEARN50. Learn 50 at checkout to save $50 on your first training. All right, guys, this episode is sponsored by Trauma Therapist 2.0, community to educate, support, to inspire new trauma healers. If you're a new trauma worker, new trauma provider and healer, you're starting out on this trauma-informed journey and you're tired of doing this alone and looking for support, looking to be around a community of other passionate trauma clinicians, I invite you to check out Trauma Therapist 2.0 at TraumaTherapist2.com. That's TraumaTherapist2.com. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.